In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth after the Toronto Argonauts down the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 31-21 in a game that looks nothing like the box score. JB, if you just look at the box score for this game, you see that McLeod Bethel-Thompson was throwing at almost 80% completions, 336 yards with two touchdowns and an interception. Andrew Harris had almost 200 all-purpose yards. And then on the other side of the ball... Saskatchewan only passed for 131. They rushed for 43. This just sounds like Toronto came in and took care of business, but that is not at all what happened. Um, No, no, it's not. It was a much closer game than that. It was a really entertaining game to watch. Uh, But I can't lie. At no time did I think Toronto was not going to win this game. I felt the same way. I, You know, people were just watching on Twitter some of the comments that were coming in in the third quarter, people were, were already chalking this up as another East loss to a West team. And I just didn't really understand it. There was no question in my mind that Toronto was going to eventually win this because Saskatchewan couldn't move the ball. They just couldn't move the football. And at some point, Toronto was going to stop shooting themselves in the foot. But had this game been against any other team or against a normal Saskatchewan team, Toronto would have been blown out. Now, what should have happened is about a 40-point blowout for the Argos based on all the yardage they got. But they just they kept finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot. They had five huge penalties on special teams for 75 yards, like just special teams alone. They had five turnovers on offense, if you count the turnover on downs, three fumbles, and interception. It was just every time there was... A, you know, a chance to do something good. It seemed like they. It seemed like they didn't want to win the game, and then at the end, they finally came through with, with a great drive. But this this would have been a, a brutal loss had they not been able to hang on. But like you said, I, I wasn't really worried, but it wasn't smooth. No, it wasn't smooth, but it was different. I mean, I really feel like last week was a change, and I didn't feel that Toronto was getting down or feeling like, oh, here we go again. Felt like a team that knew it was good and could overcome mistakes uh, against a team that was not as good as them this week. I I felt the confidence out of Toronto um, that was encouraging. And I know the TSN guys at half went bananas about the kick and the field goal, but, you know, that's... I, I don't agree with them. We, we can get into it when it comes to it. I mean, I, I agree there are issues with it, but to go on and on like like you were, you know, you burned down the, your, your bridge before you crossed it. It was, it was not that, that terrible a decision. It was just a questionable decision that went as badly as it could have. Let's go through the game. So it started off really well. We saw the defense in those first two drives just absolutely shut the door on Saskatchewan. They couldn't move the ball early. They couldn't move the ball all game. And it really never deviated from that. Toronto themselves were moving the ball early. Andrew Harris especially. You could see right away this was a very different game for him than it was last week. Now Saskatchewan, we know, they're really short. They're missing so many guys. They're down to their third string quarterback on offense. Receivers I've never heard of. Defensively, they weren't as disheveled, but it was still not your normal guys out there. You still had Charleston Hughes playing, who actually had a pretty good game. Um, you know, not 
Not the kind of game that we saw him play in Toronto, certainly. But yeah, Harris was able to move the ball. My issue is that they seem to keep getting away from that. And, you know, there was always, there would just be one play where it's like, well, why, why wouldn't we go back to him again? And it was, what's funny is that we've been asking these last few weeks to see adjustments where when teams are keying on Harris, you use him for the purpose of misdirection. And so you fake to Harris and go somewhere else. But when Harris is actually running well and receiving well, then I don't want to see you go away from that. And we saw this a few times in this game where Harris is moving the ball really well. And then suddenly they fake to Harris, throw it out wide and it's incomplete. And now you're stuck in a second and 10 or the, the flea flicker was another one that that's playing off them keying on Harris. And that was that ended up being a sack. I just I I wish we had seen them stick to what was working instead of trying to be too creative when things were clearly plan A was working well. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. I mean, honestly, like not to be the voice of positivity here, but I mean, they you know, <laughs> 336 yards in the air and 150 on the ground. I'm not I'm not going to knock that. I mean, that's what you did. That's what you did. I think you know. Did the flea flicker work? No, and. But I, I, you know, I, I didn't love the plays coming out of half. But uh, you know, on the whole, I thought the balance of run and pass was excellent uh, tonight. You know, I thought that I thought Macbeth looked in charge. He had that one bad interception, but I thought he looked absolutely in charge. Um, you know, and I thought uh, Harris looked amazing. I mean, my only concern is, you know, how sustainable this is for a guy his age um they're gonna have to get something more in that backfield than harris you worry about that but then at the end of the game he was still like charging he was yeah. he was the best player in the game today and bethel thompson played pretty well but harris um, was unstoppable today he, we it's true but we've had two buys uh you know and it's a long way to go miles to go before we sleep all of the Saskatchewan points today came off of turnovers by the Toronto offense that set up a short field or a special teams touchdown. Uh, you know, that it, it was in the first quarter that I felt like this was something that they couldn't let get out of hand. Toronto went up 3 nothing, and then they end up turning the ball over. That, so that interception that you alluded to, it seemed like a miscommunication to me. I wanted to ask McLeod Bethel-Thompson about that after the game, but I had a long list of questions I wanted to get through and I didn't get that much time. So it looked to me like he thought the receiver was running a different route. I still don't think he saw the linebacker drop. Sankey, no, he definitely uh, you know, didn't. seemed to, yeah, he just fanned out. And but, so even if the receiver had run the right route, that's probably still gets picked. Yeah. Like, but, that's what I mean, like he was, I, I didn't, I didn't think the receiver was open without the linebacker dropping. Right. Right, yeah. So that that was just, and to me, that was really McLeod's only mistake yep. on on the day. Other than that, I thought he, you know, had a really clean game. His his fumbles, I don't put on him, and we'll get into that later. So it's three three, end of the first, and it was just it was not a really exciting football game to that point. And then suddenly, Curly Gittens Jr. explodes with a touchdown pass. Bethel Thompson finds him in stride cutting in on a post in behind a receiver, I think had a go route and he cut in behind him and took it 70 yards for a touchdown. Some really nice downfield blocking. Curly ran a great route and really did well to get himself into the end zone on that. that was, that's huge to see a 70-yard explosive pass like that. Toronto is uh, then up 
10 to 3 and then BD adds a single on on a 92 yard kickoff uh, that goes through the end zone which is which is again uh, something you don't see every day um I was fascinated by uh, banks's <laughs> um, uh, shift the shifting away from banks um, offensively uh, the the depth in the uh, in the Argos wide receiver room is really uh, I think something to behold I mean basically they they can rotate every week and have a new guy be a star uh, it's really like especially with guys coming back like it's actually and hopefully Daniels is okay um, you know it really is something uh, pretty special to be able to rotate guys through and then a guy who had no catches last week you know and now we've got uh, KGJ back on his Hall of Fame uh, path yeah, Curligans Jr. finished with eight catches on eight targets for 152 and a touchdown. Yeah. And you're right, like Banks didn't have a single catch all day. He had one beautiful punt return, which set up the winning score. But other than that, he was he was pretty invisible today. He was he was being fairly well covered, but they it's not like they were really targeting him. So all of those quick screens that they did to him last week, they really took those all away. Those went to Ambles largely instead. So it was just kind of an interesting shift in strategy. I did actually quite like how Coach Dinwiddie played off of last week's script. There were some nice little tweaks. So uh, ways to get Ambles the ball in space, for example, um, off those quick screens with different looks. They set up uh, the play differently where you had Ambles to the quad side, run back to the other side of the field, and then sort of sneak under almost like a almost like a, the way a running back would run a screen. And then he was there for, for a quick, uh, bubble screen and so you know stuff like that that we hadn't really seen before and there were definitely some route combos that we haven't seen in the game yet that made their way onto uh, onto the field today so I did think coach Dinwiddie drew this up really nicely like I said his plan a was was great it's just they got a little bit of uh, away from things when you know things started to backfire a little bit Let's move on to, uh, as we sort of close out that first half, we had a, a few more, just a, a few more disasters. So uh, Toronto up 11 to three uh, and Dola Gala ends up really with his, his only drive of the game, but it, it, it wasn't, it, it just wasn't like a, it, it never felt like this was something that, he was putting together. He did complete a couple nice passes. The touchdown pass was really nice to Jones in the corner of the end zone. It was a really nice catch by him, but it just didn't feel like this was going to be a sustainable thing. And so 11-9, they missed the two-point conversion. Uh, and then it looks like Toronto is going to end up going into the half, maybe getting to score late and then get the ball to start the second half. They're driving, the drive stalls, and then this is the play that you alluded to before, the 61-yard field goal that they attempt. So let's talk about that decision. It's 26 seconds remaining. They're on the Saskatchewan 54. They are winning 11-9. to Coach Dinwiddie, after the game, said he viewed this as a mistake. He said, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. I got greedy, wanted the points before half. And what happened is BD, he had the distance. It would have just gone through if it was true, but it missed a little bit to the right. It ends up getting returned 112 yards by Mario Alford, uh, who I thought might be a problem today. And yeah, he takes it all the way back for the touchdown. It's now, they, they missed the... 
Did they miss the two-point conversion on that too? And yeah. and so it's now 15 to 11 at halftime. You're trailing instead of leading. You wouldn't have kicked that field goal or you would have? Uh, I, I, I would kick it if, A, I had seen BD kick one in warm-up. Um, and B, if I felt I had a, you know, as I mentioned on the broadcast, if I felt I had a cover team built for long field goals, it, it didn't feel like that was the long field goal cover team. It looked like <laughs> the field goal team uh, desperately tried to cover way too much field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I probably wouldn't, but I can't, I can't, you know, I can't crush the decision. I think, I think it's okay if you feel you have a cover team that can get it done. Um, that cover team did not look like they could get it done. So that, that would be something I would definitely want more work on before I, I did that. But I, again, I know it was right at the end of the half. So the TSN guys were really hot about it, but honestly, it you know in this game it just didn't it just didn't really uh, it didn't concern me to be honest um, you know I think that uh, it was an okay risk I guess I'll come down on the side of that I I, I wouldn't kill the coach for doing it I didn't see. I didn't see the need to really do that. Like, I think what I would have done there, I, I would almost rather you you take a chance and you go for it. It was third and four. Like, I almost go for it. If you're going to, you know, take the clock right down, try and go for a seven-yard pass, and now you try and kick the field goal. Something like that, I feel like, is a little bit more sensible in that scenario. BD only kicked from 47 before the game. That was the longest warm-up kick he attempted. And he he hit it, and he had a ton of space. And then when he knows he can kick those, he's seen BD hit from 65 in practice. So it wasn't a question of him being able to, but it was weird that he didn't attempt from that distance. Usually before the game, you're sort of testing out your leg and your range and, you know, special teams coach will kind of watch what you're doing. Like, okay, he's good from, you know, he's good from 60 or whatever. But yeah, he only he only kicked from 47 today. So to send him out there for a 61, it just, it, it seemed like a, a lot. And knowing what Alfred can do on the on the other end of it, and then, you know, they were lucky there weren't more guys hurt on that return, too. A big return like that, you often do find injuries. Declan Cross got hurt on that play um, in a game that saw a lot of Argonauts go down. Let's, let's get into the second half, and we can talk about some of, those, uh, some of those injuries and where they really started to pile up. So, first of all, Dijon Allen uh, was out for most of the first half. Uh, he went down with an injury, looked like a leg injury. It's hard to tell exactly what happened. I didn't even see when it happened, but suddenly he was out of the game. You had Richards uh, in playing tackle. And then early in the second half, we had Tate go down twice. So first he got kind of rolled up on awkwardly and he came out of the game. He tried to go back in a few series later and got rolled up on again. And this one looked really bad he was down for a long time and he ended up being on crutches uh, with a, a big pack around his his knee for the rest of the game he was out and and so what the response to that because they're already short they already lost Isaiah Cage this week he's been put on the six game injured list it, it's been a nightmare at tackle so they actually had Philip Blake now 
playing tackle and he's not a tackle he's a center he's a guard he is not a tackle and now they have him playing left tackle they've got Richards playing right tackle and they brought in McKellar to play left guard the rookie and so you're already missing your center and Peter Nicastro uh, Lawrence has, has done very well there but the the line is in shambles at that point and it just felt like every problem that they had in the second half was somehow tied to Saskatchewan getting a tremendous amount of pressure on McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Yeah, I mean, and there wasn't very much push. Obviously, part, you know, that was uh, Allen being out for uh, that that red zone push in the first half. It, it Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a, a concern because, you're, you know, you, you need to get healthy um, at offensive line. But, uh, you know, I, I thought that they... They they pieced it together as best they could. I thought the rookie did pretty well, truth be told, out there. You know. Yeah, I like McKellar. I thought I, he had a, a thought, really good showing. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good half for him. You know, I would love to have had him have a little more run when he was home in Nova Scotia. But uh, yeah, I you know, but you're you're definitely going to run into into some issues. But yeah, I, I thought I thought they held their own in the second half. To be honest, you know, not bad. Um, but I mean, the bad snap was brutal, obviously, and uh, <laughs> and the Charleston uh, crushing uh, MBT was not ideal either. Yeah, we'll get to those plays. So uh, they end up exchanging field goals throughout that third quarter. Toronto has a field goal. Uh, Saskatchewan has two field goals. They end the third quarter 21-14, but there's, there's a few huge plays in this series of plays. So you had uh, Shane Richards who I actually thought did okay, except he had a couple of plays that were just where he was just really absent. Uh, the one that you talked about where Charleston Hughes just came around the outside and Richards barely touched him and he crushed McLeod Bethel Thompson. I do not put that fumble on Bethel Thompson. There's nothing you can do on that. He just got, he got hit so hard. He didn't know the hit was coming and he lost the ball because every quarterback is going to lose that ball when you're hit that hard. So yeah, that was, that was really rough. And then, the other one you talked about, uh, the fumbled snap, this is, it's getting to be a bigger problem because we've seen fumbled snaps in almost every game this season, if not every game this season. They generally haven't resulted in turnovers. This one did. Now, Toronto got really lucky, and there's this weird series of rules here related to this, but I don't quite understand how this play resulted in Saskatchewan keeping the ball. So it was a fumbled snap. Bethel Thomas was running for it. Charleston Hughes batted it ahead with his hand, scooped it up, and scored. Now, I knew that was coming back because I knew you're not allowed to advance the ball that way. But I don't understand why that is Saskatchewan's possession. If you claimed possession by doing something that was deemed illegal, and a few people commented on, on my Twitter timeline on this as well, why does that still remain Saskatchewan ball if he got the ball by doing something illegal? <laughs> I think the referees were keen to get out of the stadium uh, alive. <laughs> and so they called back the touchdown. But if they were to give the ball back to Toronto, I feel like that might have been more than they were interested in taking on. In sort of one of those weird rule things, Charleston would have been fine if he'd kicked it. We've seen that before. You are allowed to kick the ball pretty much at any time in a CFL game. Like, no matter where you are, like, you can always kick the ball. A lot of these old school rugby rules still apply in football. Like, you can you can catch a pass downfield and, and turn around and boot it. We've seen games end that way, which is, is kind of weird and exciting. Um, but 
yeah, he, you can't bat the ball ahead and advance it that way intentionally. Now, he could have he could have acted like he was trying to pick it up and run with it and then fumbled it forward. And that's where it gets kind of weird. They sort of judge intent there, but he clearly smacked it ahead. So it was the right call, but it's, it's sort of a weird one. And I don't fully understand the way that that rule is written up. So Toronto down a touchdown in what seemed like a very normal scoring game when you look at the score sheet 21-14 but we just had a mess of of scoring plays and and weird things happen and Harris basically takes over on a drive uh, running play after running play after running play and Bethel Thompson then finds Cam Phillips on a corner route in man coverage a beautiful pass corner of the end zone for a five-yard touchdown and now suddenly it is all tied up at 21 and we're uh, we're about midway through the third quarter, I think, at this point. And at that point, it it did feel like okay, that's you know that's that's the game. I think Toronto had this in hand because Saskatchewan just hadn't been able to put anything together at that stage. So with time ticking down, uh, Toronto has the ball. They're looking to drain the clock and then either get out of there with a touchdown or with a field goal. I really thought this was where we were going to get that Andrew Harris touchdown. There were a few times today, as well as he played, you can tell it's just, it, it's it's crushing him that he's not able to to get in the end zone. He was pretty good humored about it after the game. He was asked about that. I think it was David Morissuti that asked him about that. Like, how do you feel getting all these yards, but you're not able to punch the ball in the end zone? Like, it just hasn't happened yet. And he just kind of laughed it off and said, you know, it's it's weird. It's just one of those things. It'll come sooner or later. I'll get this monkey off my back. But I thought it was going to happen there at the end of the game. Um, but it, it wasn't to be. Bethel Thompson actually took a, a sack, uh, which could have been costly. It moved yeah. him back a little bit. He, yeah. j- he joked after the game. He's like, I just wanted to, you know, put Boris in his range, uh, make it like a 40-yard field goal. That was that was a coaching error. That that has to be a D there. You can't, you can't risk that snap, that live play there. Yeah, it just, I, I don't know, I don't know what I would have done there. You have to take, I, I, almost I think, think you have to take a knee. You don't, you don't have a choice. You have to take a knee there, especially for a team that has been as snake bit and really as terrible as the Argos have been in the red zone. You know, I, you have to take, I mean, to, to risk a, a sack fumble, you know, that would, that would turn out fine. But uh, that was a that was a, a I think that was a far more egregious coaching mistake than the field goal. See, I I, I disagree. I, I don't think you take a knee there because you're not. It's not the last play of the game. There was still 51 seconds left. It's it's second down and 11 at that point. I, I think I don't know. Like if you're if you don't want to take a chance, then you run the ball there or something. I just I don't think. I don't think the right play is to take a or, knee or and the then ball. send your field goal sure, out. Sure, or run the ball. Uh, I'm okay with that. And then you drain the clock down sure. a little bit and then kick the you, field goal. You can't but... take the ball then take a sna- and then take a sack. That That is nowhere on the list of things you can do. And then so Toronto's up 24-21. And on the ensuing play, this is the, this is the Mary Alford fumble. And I don't blame Alford on this because Saskatchewan was not going to be driving the length of the field for the game-tying field goal or the game-winning touchdown. It just wasn't going to happen. They hadn't shown anything all night. And what they had shown was the ability for it to set up a big return. So Alfred was just desperately trying to make something happen. He ran backwards and it looked like a mess. But again, I don't blame him. I think that was, it's one of those things where like, this is, if we're going to score, it's going to be like this. He ends up fumbling the football 
Uh, it's recovered by uh, the rookie Penny Larea, and who is it was so excited to to run in. It was forced by Robbie Smith. Uh, really nice, uh, really nice special teams play, and it was nice to have that bit of redemption after the special teams unit had shot themselves in the foot so many times. The penalties that I spoke about, the uh, missed field goal return touchdown, and for them to scoop and score to really put this game away. It's 31-21 at the end, and of course the game couldn't end normally though. JB, there was a blackout with I think it was 24 seconds left in the game. Yeah, there was a blackout and. Did the TV coverage just never came back on at that point? No, they just went to uh, they went to sports desk and kind of moved on. <laughs> just as well, I think everyone in the stadium was ready to move on too. But yeah, the lights went out, everything went dark, scoreboards were dark, but it was still light enough out because of the the time difference, uh, and so they were able to finish the game. Uh, the lights came back on, the scoreboard came back on eventually, but yeah, it was just a few plays at the end. Dola Gala threw the ball about a mile. Uh, on first down, they ended up getting a first down on the next play and then took a knee to, to end the game. But it was uh, a, an important win, uh, an ugly win, but there were some real positives you can take away from this. And I think that's what Coach Dinwiddie's message was at the end of this game. You know, he didn't really want to dwell on the negatives and, you know, talk about those turnovers. And I think he looked at it a lot like you, where some freak things happen, but all in all, most players played a really good game. And you have to give it to the offensive line who were just trying to piece things together. They've got so many missing pieces. And for that line to get out there, and I know Saskatchewan's banged up, for, but for you to put all the pieces that you put out there, the way you put them out there, and still run effectively and pass for over 300 yards, that says something about your team. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you know, when I put my report card together... I thought it was a very, I actually thought it was actually one of um, maybe after last week, the, the best game that the Argos played. Uh, obviously the, the, the third down conversion is still a bit of an issue. Uh, the gold line fumble, it, you know, I think that's not really anything that was just kind of um, an issue, but you know, the line being really under undermanned Um yeah, I I I've, I thought it was a, a very good game with a couple of weird bounces that didn't go the Argos way and they were still able to to finish the job and special teams while not good for 3 quarters was very good in the fourth quarter. That Andrew Harris fumble by the way, he said after the game that he knew that he was risking fumbling it, but in that in that situation on third down, you're going to give it up anyway if you don't get in the end zone. So he reached out and tried to get it across the goal line in desperation. But just that the left side of the line was was blown up, and that was where that was where Tate was injured the second time uh, as he got sort of rolled up on. Uh, JB, let's talk about players of the game. So. This is such a weird one again because the defense was so good today. The defense, this this might be their, again, it's not really fair because I know the, the level of competition they were playing against wasn't the same as we saw like last week, for example, but they played extremely well. And the offense, it, I don't really know what to do with it. Who is your, let's start with the offense. Who is your offensive player of the game? Um, Yeah, I, I mean... I really want to give it again to Harris because I think the offense builds so much confidence from him 
And when he's able to get four or five yards on first down, it absolutely opens up the field. So in a sense, I think he will always be the MVP. Uh, but I can't just pick hairs every week. Well, I could, I guess. But uh, I'm going to go with my guy, uh, you know, uh, KGJ. Uh, back back on these, you know, like we said, like back on his Hall of Fame um, path. And he looked great. Uh, he He's fast. He's got great hands. He reads his blocks really well. He's, you know, he's fantastic. He's and if teams are not going to be able to figure out who to focus on, um, he it, it, that what we saw today is the template for how the Argos can be very good. If Harris can run and he can get first down yardage, and the wide receivers are all healthy, there's nobody you can focus on because then he'll Macbeth will just choose another guy to be the guy that week, and that is deadly if you have a team that can do that. So I, I was really um, excited to see him take his turn in the circle. And we're one week away from the return potentially of Eric Rogers and Joan Breskison, which is going to, um, it's going to make, it's going to make staffing that receiving core pretty interesting, especially with Cam Phillips playing really well. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but that's a, a problem for another day. Uh, for my offensive player of the game, I'm also tempted to go with Andrew Harris. Um, I'm also tempted to go with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. 30 of 38 for 336, two touchdowns. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting after the game, uh, I asked I asked him, because do you remember the, there was the, on that last drive, it was third and in inches, and it was a pretty crucial third and in inches because it was tied at 21 at that point, time ticking down, and they were able to draw Saskatchewan offside. I wanted to know if there was a play call there because I kind of wondered like if if Saskatchewan didn't jump were they going to call a timeout and uh you know the, some of the guys in the press box were were talking about that as well a couple guys there from three down were were talking about that with me you know would they have would they have called timeout there would they have taken the penalty and kicked the field goal at that stage but it sounds like the play that was called was going to be a sneak so if Saskatchewan didn't jump they held their ground they were going to go on to and sneak it and you know just based on some of the problems toronto has had that could have been that could have been dicey but um i I think i think bethel thompson converts that because it's only a few inches but still we saw one earlier in the game that that wasn't converted so i'm not going to give it to either of those guys i think they both deserve it i'm going to go a little bit out of left field in this and i'm going to give player of the game to Dejon allen and i'm going to tell you why the O-line was so banged up. Dejon Allen was not healthy at the end of this game. And when Philip Blake went down after filling in at left tackle, they had nobody left. Declan Cross was hurt. Like he, he might be the next guy you turn to at that stage on the line. And they, they just had nobody. And Allen, even though he wasn't feeling 100%, actually not even close to that, uh, he was really limping, um, very noticeably so on the sideline. But he went in and held down that right tackle spot. They moved Shane Richards over to left. And if it was a healthy Dijon Allen, they would have put him on the left side, but he just didn't have the mobility there. So for him to get in there and gut that out and put together that game-winning drive that they did where they were able to run the ball effectively behind Allen too and pass the ball effectively, uh, it it wouldn't have been possible. If he didn't have the toughness to get back into that game, this might have ended a little differently. So I know it's a little bit 
out of left field, but the offensive line never gets credit for stuff like this, so he's my player of the game. Where are you going on the defensive side, JB? Uh, my defensive player, I, I thought, you know, Shaq played a great game again. Um, you know, the linebackers are so kind of coolly efficient. Uh, they can be overlooked because they're just getting the job done. There was no run, no screenplay. Um, but this week, I got to go with Jagger Davis. Uh, I thought he played fantastic the whole game. Um, he was dancing. He was sacking. He he had, you know, spoiler alert, the, the play of the game. Um, yeah, Jagger Davis, I thought, took his turn. It's like the D-line seemed to be like rotating through who's going to have their best game of the season, and it was his turn, and I thought he played fantastic. Yeah, he had a really strong game. Talking to him after the game, it's funny, I've never really talked to him much before. He was just so chill about everything. I asked him about how difficult it is when you keep getting sent out there with a short field to defend. You know, again and again, you're, you're out there and you're, you're starting with Saskatchewan on your on your 30-yard line or whatever. And he's like, well, you can't, you can't control that. There's no sense in being mad at that. You just go out there and you're like, oh, here's where the ball is. Let's let's play some defense. And and I asked him about like preparing for three different quarterbacks because they didn't know at various different stages of this week. They thought it was going to be Fajardo. Then they thought it was going to be fine. Then they thought it was going to be Dolagala. And we weren't even sure coming into the last couple of days. Like, you know, how's that preparing for three different guys? He's like, it's fine. You know, just nothing seems to phase him. And I think his attitude is really helpful on this defense just to keep because there are some pretty high strung guys out there and to have him sort of be as, as chill as that. I know he's not quite like that on the football field, but his mentality is like that on the sideline. I think that is, is pretty helpful. But, yeah, he had an outstanding game. I've certainly never seen a guy um, dance and then immediately get a sack. So I give him full credit. That was amazing. And for my defensive player of the game, I'm going to go Jamal Peters. He doesn't jump off the stat sheet. He had a couple of beautiful reads where he had one that could have been a pick six, another that I think he did pick, but it was out of bounds. He didn't, it wasn't able to get his feet down. But he was just all night able to read what Dolagala was doing. He baited him into a few throws. He disguised coverage really well. There was that, that pick six play, or what could have been a pick six, happened pretty early. And he had he had sort of trail. It was cover three. He was playing flats, and he trailed a receiver on a go route. But the whole time, he's watching and waiting because he knew Dola Gala, being a young quarterback, was going to end up going to the flats. And right as Dola Gala got into his windup, Jamal Peters peeled off and cut in front of the receiver, and it just came in. It came in really fast because Dola Gala's got a cannon. But if it if it were maybe a, a couple miles an hour slower, he takes that to the house. And there were just a few plays like that. He had a couple of nice pass breakups, and you know, I, I think in a game where almost everybody on the defense had an outstanding game, he really stood out to me. So I agree with you on Jagger Davis, but I'm going to go Jamal Peters. Yeah, I, he is developing into a star, a hundred percent. Yeah, and if you haven't read, there's a really nice article Hoagie wrote on him uh, this week. If you go to argonauts.ca, uh, he's got a nice write-up there. There's actually a few really nice pieces lately. There's a great one on McLeod Bethel Thompson's family, if you haven't caught that one also. That's that's really cool. So uh, definitely check that out if you get a chance. All right, player of the game, JB. What was it for you? Uh, I thought the play of the game was really like the turning point of the entire game. You know, you had... Uh, Charleston Hughes, who apparently did not enjoy his time in Toronto. Um, you know, I'm going to take the high road there. And, uh, you know, he had that 
you know, knock off, bad snap, touchdown. Looked like things were going to go Saskatchewan's way. Maybe it was just not going to be Toronto's day. And it gets turned around, and now Saskatchewan's trying to score. And I don't know how their running back stayed on his feet. Uh, he was hit so hard. Um, like, he was just annihilated. I can't even blame the guy for not wrapping up. He hit that running back um, with <laughs> a velocity and violence that was uh, something to see. But he kept going, and then Jagarid held him up on the one-yard line um, and just absolute, like, you know, bull in the ring practice drill just held him up and didn't let him get over. I think that changed the whole complexion of the game. I think it was the play that won the game. Yeah, that was Frankie Hicks. And he's so tough to bring down because he's 5'8", 200. And he's got that sort of bowling ball thing going on. And yeah, I don't like, I have no idea how he absorbed that hit either. I couldn't believe he was still going. And I thought for sure he was going to get into the end zone. And like you said, out of nowhere, uh, it comes to Gary Davis and, and wraps him up. And, and then they had a chance to, well, they did sneak across the touchdown, but they got a procedure penalty uh, and that moved them back five yards and, and they ended up uh, you know, not being able to convert a touchdown. So yeah, that was a huge play. For my play of the game, uh, I'm going to go back to that Curly Gittens Jr. touchdown because a- after almost nothing went right for the Argos early, it, it would have been it would have been really easy for the Argos to let this get away from them and just have the offense starting to turn on each other like we've seen happen before. Uh, maybe fingers start getting pointed. They needed a big play. They needed. They were outplaying Saskatchewan so badly at that stage of the game in the second quarter. They needed a touchdown, and that play came at the absolute perfect time. That seventy-yarder. It was just. A, it was. A, it's a beautiful play design. Beautifully run route by Gittens Jr., a perfect throw from McLeod Bethel Thompson, and that really got things going. And the offense didn't really slow down after that. I know there were turnovers, but the the offense, the, the numbers after that play, they just kept piling up and piling up. So that's my play of the game, the touchdown pass to Curly Gittens Jr. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple things. I, I wasn't a play of the game. I loved Brissett being involved as like a force player on that final um, special teams turnover. Yeah, especially where clearly coach got into it with him and you know almost immediately after there he is on on uh, on return uh, forcing the forcing the returner back into the defensive uh, player who grabbed the ball from him um, I, I I thought that uh, that in in that the offense did a really good job of um, keeping the ball in the middle of the field. I love that Tavares Daniels got fed a bunch and got fed between the hash marks. You know, I hope he's okay because that was, um, you know, a pretty bush headshot. And then, you know, let me here, let me do a headshot rant for a second. Um, look, this has to be dealt with. You know, he, he, he wasn't hit with the helmet, but he was hit where the head was the point of contact. You just can't have that. You can't have players hitting other players in the head. That has to be a penalty. It has to be done at central office if the refs don't see it. The announcers have to call it out. The announcers just basically stared at their feet while they run, they they did the replay, and then they were like, oh, he's fine, as if there was some sort of neurosurgeon in the booth who had determined that Daniels was fine. Um, it's It's just unacceptable. It, it's 2022. If you don't understand what concussions are, then you better read a book. 
if you're going to be on TV and broadcasting football. And it's just outrageous in my mind. Like that has to get fixed. That is unacceptable. I don't care if you played football in 1990. It's 2022. You should be talking about what concussion is. You should be talking about how he needs to be in concussion protocol. You should be talking about just because he got up doesn't mean he's okay. You know, that's unacceptable, TSN. The good news from it is that he was moving around well after, you know, he was able to get off the field himself. Sure. And, uh, he wasn't presenting any symptoms uh, at the time, but as well, you know, that doesn't few, necessarily... Very few concussions stop you from getting up and walking away. Right. And that's the thing is you can't just sort of say, well, he seems fine. So I guess things can continue on. OK, so, you know, hopefully hopefully he, he doesn't present any symptoms going forward. But you, you have to hope he's, he's held out for a little while and is able to. Yeah. It just has to be acknowledged. People are watching. Kids are watching. Why are we not talking about the truth? It's 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 unacceptable. And that hit has to be a penalty, has to be a penalty. I know they were talking to the refs about it and the refs didn't do anything. It's a shoulder to head. If that's not a penalty, then the CFL is as useless as its announcers were about concussions. I feel like the referees went away from that call because I think they felt like Deveris, because it looked like when he caught the ball, he was basically trying to get to ground because he knew that he was in trouble. He was in traffic. There were, he was basically in between three different guys. And it looked like he wanted to catch the ball and then basically hit the deck. And I think the officials felt like him trying to get down is what led to the contact with the player's shoulder. But I still think you're right. I don't think it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's not about that. You're you're trying to prevent a dangerous play. Somebody coming in from from far away at 100 miles an hour uh, with a high hit that is going to be near somebody's head. If not on it, he ends up uh, actually hitting him in the head. And yes, it's with a shoulder pad. And, you know, no, it probably wasn't intentional, but you have to discourage the kind of plays that are going to lead to hits like this. And, you know, that's I think that's what you're saying. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. It should be a penalty. Why are we still having this argument and discussion? You know, that's what I'm saying. What, What? Come on. We've been through this. It's been legislated. It's not 2015. For God's sakes, let's let's talk about it on the broadcast and let's get it in the damn rule book. Now, do you forgive the special teams unit? Uh, did they redeem themselves with that <laughs> huge punt return by Speedy Banks yeah. and then well, the strip uh, fumble touchdown at the end of the game? I, I have, um, you know, that old coaching expression, don't worry when the coach yells at you, just worry when he stops. Um, I have stopped yelling at the kick return <laughs> unit. So that's okay. They're no longer something I get angry about. We talked about when Banks signed that he could be a spot returner in in a close game, in a tight game, in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly how they used him. I loved it, and it worked. So I think that's that's great. I think that's absolutely who he should be. He is not their punt returner, but occasionally you can put him out there for totally different look and he'll catch teams by surprise. Um, so I was happy about that. And, um, you know, in the, in the, the, the return coverage to, to kind of salt away the game, but on the whole, it was a decent special teams game, but, uh, <laughs> they cannot punt return. Anyways, that's, I, I said, I wasn't going to yell about them and I'm not. So Toronto is now three and two. They remain atop the East Division, and they've got a game and a half on Montreal, two and a half games on Hamilton, and they play the Red Blacks, who are zero and six. But this is not a team that you can sleep on because 
Ottawa, while they haven't won one, has been in every game, and it's it's only a matter of time for them. So, hopefully, uh, with this lost day that they've suffered here, hopefully they are able to get back. I know they're flying back um, tonight. I think they were going, you know, right to the right to the airport uh, to, to catch a flight home tonight, and they can get to work right away uh, because you cannot take the Red Blacks for granted. No, I mean, how, how you know? Uh, talking about my picks, finally, it was a decent pick weekend for me. But how did Ottawa not win that game? I mean, oh, my goodness. Anyways, we'll, we can talk more about that in our preview. But, yeah, I, Ottawa is a decent Eastern football team, whatever that means. <laughs> It's a sweep against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This one, the final 31-21. That will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction podcast edition of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this has been Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.